we're in our series called Freedom. We're called in Galatians 5 to not live the old way any longer. And the beginning of chapter 5 in this passage is, is a contrast between who we used to be before Christ. We were called slaves. Pretty strong language. But now we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and we're not called to go back to our slavery. We've been set free, and now we can go out and live in that freedom in Christ. And that's a wonderful way to live. And the Apostle Paul is writing here, and he's challenging you and I, and also this real church in a place called Galatia, to not go back to the old way. That's totally illogical. Let's go and move forward. But we have a serious problem. You and I cannot do that on our own. As good as you are, as smart as you are, as strong as you are, you're not strong enough in yourself. So therefore, we must allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Walk by the Spirit. You cannot do this by yourself. But then he continues on and it says, when you are living and walking by the Spirit, you will naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is what we've been speaking through in this series. The love and the joy and the peace and the patience, the kindness and the goodness, the gentleness. And today we're talking about the self-control. And our principle for today is this. And every single Sunday, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. The principle is this. Self-control is Holy Spirit control. We often think of self-control as just willpower. If I am strong enough, then I can live the good Christian life. Then I can live the love and the joy and the peace and the patience. But I'm discovering, and I say discovering because I'm a slow learner, and maybe you are too, that I cannot have real love, real joy, real peace in myself. It's totally dependent upon Jesus Christ and my relationship with Him. And through that, the Holy Spirit working in me and through me. That is the goal. So with self-control, yes, the definition of self-control is willpower, abstaining from various negative things. But it's, that's an incomplete definition. The more complete definition in this context is that you actually have power and strength to overcome. But not in yourself. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again, because I often think about in my own willpower. I mean, my wife, she loves me. And obviously she wants more of me to love because I tell her all the time, please stop buying ice cream. I tell her this all the time. And she, in fact, my son told me after, I, after the first service, he, he said, we have six tubs of ice cream at home. And I said, good, we'll have some this afternoon. Tammy, if you don't buy ice cream at night, I don't want a whole tub. I just want a little bowl. <laughs> it's a, a bowl's relative, but a little bowl. I just want a little bowl of ice cream at night. But if you don't buy it, I know it's not there, and then I'm not tempted. But then she says, but, but I know you like it. I know I like it. I do have willpower, just not enough willpower to say no to ice cream. It's my favorite food in the whole world. And they should make it in all flavors so you can eat it for every meal. (laughs) Willpower is, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, not going to. And, you know, it comes along and finally you you succumb. 
Here, that's not what we're talking about. This isn't you going, I want to live the Christian life. I want to live the Christian life. I want to, be, I want to do good. I want to live in, in joy and love and peace and patience. I want to live the will of God. This is actually saying, God, I am going to be open to what you have. So therefore, self-control is, I'm going to be, allow you to control me and to guide me how I need to be guided so I can live in the power and the strength to overcome, not in my own strength, but in his strength. And that right there will transform the way that you live this life. Throughout this series, we've been challenging you every single Sunday to make a choice, to choose love, to choose joy, to choose to be patient, to choose gentleness. Well, today I'm going to challenge you to choose to live under the Spirit's control in self-control. But it it comes with a choice. And the reason why I call it a choice is that God does never ever force himself upon you. He comes with wide open arms saying, I have a path for you. I want to guide you. I want to lead you. I want to mold you and change you into the person I want you to be. The result of that is we get to enjoy the fruits of the Spirit. The hard part is that you and I, I don't know if you noticed, but we're human. And we sin and we do wrong and we're not perfect. And so therefore, this is a battle that we fight but it's also it's a pathway that we our lives take galatians chapter 5 verse number 24 is right after the fruit of the spirit he says this and those who belong to christ jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires he goes back to the beginning premise because we have a relationship with god through Jesus Christ, now we can now go out and live a different life. But it gives a foundation because you belong to Christ Jesus. Well, I have three very brief points this morning, but really the first two are, are the points and the third is the application. So these first two is we come some foundation. If you have your Bibles, go and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, we're going to see the Apostle Paul writing to a real church in modern day Greece, which was commonly and well known as the community of Corinth as a very immoral group of people. In fact, it was actually used as an, an insult. If you wanted to call someone immoral, you would call them a Corinthian. It was not something you go, oh, Corinthians, oh, it's such a beautiful place. Location-wise, absolutely gorgeous on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a seaport city. But morally, they were very corrupt. And these Christians, they had received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They repented of their sins, and they were struggling with going back to the old way of living. That's why we have the books of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We see the Apostle Paul actually went and visited them again to, to correct their doctrine and correct the way they were living because what they were doing was exactly what he was warning against in Galatians. Going back to the ways of slavery. They were going back to the old way of living again because that was the natural way. I'm a Corinthian. This is how we're supposed to act. I now know Jesus Christ is my Savior, but I'm going back to the old way. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he lays out a number of sins But in verse number 11, he makes a transition. He lists some sins, and then he uses a key word, and the key word is the word were. So our first point this morning is salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. We see here in in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, And such were 
some of you. And such were some of you. Looking at the previous verses, which I'm not going to take the time to go through, there's a list of things, and you may think to yourself in where you are, and I'm not here to, to bring judgment upon you, but you begin thinking in the stillness of night. When you're laying in bed at night, you begin rehearsing in your mind the failures of your past. You begin rehearsing in your mind the things that you've done in your past, or maybe even that very day, and you think to yourself, that's not the way that I'm supposed to act. You have a choice. Are you going to live in the, the control of the Spirit, or are you going to go back and live the old way of living? And the challenge the Apostle Paul gives to this church in Corinth, which he also gives to you and I, because I think we suffer from the same problems. We have a temptation to go back to the old ways all the time. He gives this the challenge, but it's based upon love. He says, and such were some of you, but... You were, that key word again, you were washed and you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This right here gives us the foundation. He lays out three beautiful points about how we can live differently and how we can actually live under the Spirit's control, not in your strength, not in my strength, but through His strength. Because what has he done? Let's break them down really quickly. It's right, it's right here. It gives us a nice three-point outline very easily. First of all, we see the word washed. He's been washed clean. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he says, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness. You are saved not because of how good you are. Not because nowhere in the Bible do we find scales where your good has to outweigh your bad. That's not found in the Bible at all. What we do find in the scripture is that we are described as our sins as filthy rags. But that verse in Titus says, continues on, not done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 4, our good works in and of ourselves are described as filthy rags. If you ever study that out, you understand that th those rags are not just dirty soil cloths. They're actually bandages that would be covered over a wound, but not just any nice clean wound. This would have been, a, I'm going to be graphic here, a pus-filled, disgusting wound. And that's the graphic language that the, the prophet Isaiah is using to describe our good works in and of ourselves in comparison to God. It's very graphic language here. And then we see in the New Testament when it's described as our, our salvation is washed us clean. We see verses in the Bible that says we've been washed white as snow. My feelings, I still feel dirty. I, don't, I remember my failures of the past and so do you. But according to the Bible, not according to my feelings, you've been washed clean. So therefore, he says that some of you, that's who you used to be, the sinner you used to be, but you were washed. It goes on and says you were sanctified. That word sanctified is actually a really beautiful word. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the key word there is that we are in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We're a new creation because we are in Christ. We're not a new creation because you try really hard, because you do good deeds. 
Because remember we talked about our righteousness or as filthy rags? But it says there is because we are in Christ. The word sanctified, and I'm going to give you a very simplistic definition, is the ability or the activity to grow in Christ-likeness. Because you've been washed, your sins have been cleansed, because he has saved you from your sins, now you have the ability to grow in your relationship with Christ. This is not sinless perfection. This is not a a destination. This is a journey that you go through in life as you grow and to develop. In a husband and wife relationship, the epitome of your love and devotion to one another should not be your wedding day. The day that you say, I do, you have two independent, selfish people. And if you're really honest, that's who you were. Two independent, selfish people have come together to say, I do. And after the wedding day, you don't go and move apart and continue to move further and further apart. The longer you've been married, and some of you have been married a long time, and you can attest to this, the longer you've been married, you should be growing closer and closer and closer together. In a similar way with our relationship with Christ, we don't, the moment of our salvation, instantly become perfect. I wish we did. I wish that I was instantly, you know, oh, and no more sin in my life at all. And you do too. But that's not the way we find in Scripture at all. We become more like Christ because the more that we learn and we grow and we develop and we become the very name Christian, which means Christ-like. This is different than salvation. This is our action as a result of our salvation. The next thing we see is the word justified. Justification or justified is a legal term. To put you in the the context in the the picture, it's much like a judge standing before somebody that is guilty and he's sitting there with his gavel and he has the choice and the obligation as a good judge to, to put the gavel down and say, guilty, and then give a sentence. But rather than the judge, this is God in this context, looking at you and I as guilty, because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, he looks at us and says, you are now, boom, boom, justified. My son has made the payment for you. He's paid your fine. He's paid your prison sentence or whatever the the context is. Because he died on the cross, he justified you from the outside world looking into you and i they know our failures i mean ask your family (laughs) they know your failures they know your mistakes they remember who you used to be but that's not who we're called to be because we've been washed we've been sanctified and now we are also justified declared not guilty so therefore that changes the way that we live Because if we were still dirty in our sin, if we were still separate from God, if we were still guilty from God, then we would live as people that were dirty and and separate and guilty. But we're not. So therefore, we now have the ability to live a life that is different. That's how we live in the power of self-control. There's a transformation that takes place. And we see this transformation in... 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, but verses 19 and 20. So previously we see the Apostle Paul says, you were once that way, but now you are washed, you are sanctified and justified. And then he goes on in verses 19 and 20 and explains who we now are. 
Verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? You think about that. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit resides within you. Whom you have from God, you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. And here's the, the command. Because of that, we are to glorify God in your body. How do we do that? There must be a transformation that takes place in our life. And it's a beautiful transformation, but it's a, it's a journey and it's gradual. It would be wonderful, as I said earlier, to wake up at the moment of salvation and instantly be perfect. But we don't find that at all. What we find is that we are growing and developing. So in order to, to live a life of self-control, you don't just waking up one day and go, I've arrived. I have full self-control over everything in my life, except for ice cream. I have full, no, it's not that at all. We find it, it's a progressive journey. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's the, the, the title of this entire series, is the word freedom. And we, are, and we all, with unveiled face, beholding the, the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The word being that, that transformed is the word that we are continually. This was not a one-time event. Our salvation is a one-time event. Our transformation into Christ-likeness is a continual. We're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we are being transformed, we begin to reflect back upon what's happened in our hearts and our minds. The Bible commentator Albert Barnes said this, The more we behold his brilliance and glorious light, in other words, the more that we know about the things of God, the more knowledge that we have, the more time we spend with Him, the more we behold his, this brilliant and glorious light, the more we reflect back its rays. We have the ability to, to reflect back the Christ-likeness, the wonderful blessings that we've, been rec we've received. We can reflect them back to others. But this is gradual doing some research about this, and this illustration came up, which I thought was very impactful to me. You know, God chooses to grow a mushroom in six hours. Six hours to grow a mushroom, which I think is quite incredible. But then he takes 300 years to grow one of the grand carry trees of the southwest that grow you know, 60 meters high, the ones that you can climb up. And I'm thinking in my mind, I would much rather be something for the long term, not just fungus, something for the long term, something that has strength, something that's going to outlast a, a normal lifetime. In my life, and probably in your life too, you want to live for something that's going to last. So therefore, we don't just peak in a day and go, I've arrived, and then go off to, into nothing. We want to be slowly, gradually growing in strength and power and might. We have a wonderful future that we can enjoy because of this transformation. In 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And here's a wonderful thing, because you and I, we have a, a future, because 
even when we do fail, there's an exit strategy. Thank God that he doesn't give us a, a three strikes rule. Like, I'm sorry, you've, you've, you've given me strike 18, you're definitely out. We see here, when we do fail, it says in verse number 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We see a wonderful picture here of how we can live controlled by the Spirit. How we can live a life of self-control because it is spirit control. It becomes as a result of our salvation. Because Jesus Christ came to earth and, to, and died on the cross and rose from the dead, he's offering you and I the wonderful free gift of salvation. And when you've accepted that for yourself, the Bible says that he comes in and washes you, he sanctifies you, he justifies you, and there's a lot of other things that he does in that, that split moment of salvation that gives you the tools and the ability through him to live a life of self-control. So don't try to live a self-controlled life without first having the life of salvation and transformation in your life. But the Apostle Paul gives a warning. Going back to Galatians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, go back to Galatians 5. We see in verses 22 and 23 the fruits of the Spirit. But in verses 25 and 26, we see a warning given by the Apostle Paul. And I believe because he... I mean, I can see in my own context, in my own life, and you probably can too, that when I'm living right, I naturally, you know, outwardly, you may think, just, oh, he's doing exactly what he's supposed to do. Aren't they good people? And we can naturally become filled with pride. We can have the wrong motivation to do the right thing, which is ultimately sinful. So therefore, the goal isn't to just outwardly live out the fruits of the Spirit so that I'm impressing you, or you're impressing me. The goal is to walk by the Spirit, changing our motivation, changing our goals, changing what we consider success, so as everything is filtered through the, the works of the Holy Spirit. There's four warnings we see in this passage. I'm just going to walk through them very quickly. Verses 25 and 26 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. There's four things we see in that verse. First of all, we have the temptation to be impatient. He gives the warning, keep in step with the Spirit. The only correct place to be when we walk with the Spirit is with Him, not in front of Him. There's lots of things that I naturally think that God should be doing. If God was, in a sense, my genie in a bottle, which he's not at all. So therefore, we're not to walk in front of God. And absolutely, we're not to walk behind the Holy Spirit. What we see here is we're to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. So rather than being impatient, we rather need to be spirit controlled or spirit guided every step of the way. Which direction are you going, God? What opportunities are you opening up? Oftentimes, I have prayed, God, what do you want to do here? Because I have no idea what to do. Even us meeting here at this school, God opened up a door of opportunity that we're simply walking through, as opposed to us having to push our way through and somehow arrive. We don't want to walk one step in front of God or the Holy Spirit. We want to walk completely in step with Him. Second is the temptation of pride. 
Verse 26 says, let us not become conceited. We are naturally prideful people. And you may think, well, I'm not prideful. When we are different than others, we look at others and go, they should be like us. Or why aren't they acting like us? And one of my prayers, and this is a wrong prayer as, as a child, was, God, why aren't you convicting them like you're convicting me? Particularly as a teenager, when my friends would go off to parties, and I, my, my conscience was far too strong to do many of those things. And I was thinking, God, I, this is a really unspiritual prayer I prayed. God, why have you made my conscience so strong? <laughs> I remember praying that. God, why did you do this? I don't want to look at others and go, oh, everyone has to look like me or look like you. We're not to become conceited. Rather, we should be humble. And wow, God, you can work in my life at all. You love me. The next one is disunity. Verse 26 says, provoking one another. We don't want to live in disunity. The strength of a local church is our unity together. But if we choose to go in different factions and go our own way, we're not working together. And therefore, the power and the strength of a local church and the reputation of a local church is broken away. We must go back and see here, it says they're provoking one another. The word provoking is actually the word that means to challenge, to combat. So rather than having disunity, we must work strong towards unity and agreeing on what we agree on and working towards in the, in the strength and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And final is the temptation of jealousy envying one another, looking at someone else's gifts and abilities. And there's lots of things that I, I would have loved to, to have done. You know, I would love to be musical. In the, in, the, in the worship service, there was some clapping. I would love to have rhythm in order to clap and sing at the same time. And it's not that I don't want to clap. It's just that I, I clap off. I look at that and I think, oh, God, why didn't you give me the rhythm ability? I, mean, I would use it for you. And so rather than looking at opportunities and things that you don't have in that jealousy, have gratitude and say, God, what have you given to me? What gifts and abilities and unique things has he given to you as an individual? As we go out this week, the challenge for you is to live a life that is not just willpower, self-control, but a self-control because you are being guided by the Spirit. The thing I really want to get into your mind through this entire series, and I've quoted it dozens of times through this series, is a simple phrase from Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, that says, walk by the Spirit. So as you go out this week, filter everything that you do through, God, I'm going to walk by the Spirit. And I do not find in context anywhere in Scripture that, that God says, no, I don't want you to grow. No, I don't want you to grow my relationship with, with me. I see the opposite. When we come to God with open arms, He's there with wide open arms to bring us in and to guide us and direct us. And imagine how different your life would be, how different your family and our community and ultimately our world would be if just here as this group of people today would simply live as the people that God wants us to be, living in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. In a moment we're going to pray. I'm going to challenge you to spend some time in prayer yourself, asking God, God, how do you want to guide me this week or even just right now? Why don't you stand with me as we pray? Lord, thank you for guiding us. Thank you for loving us enough to not leave us by ourselves. But Lord, you are constantly guiding and directing us. But Lord, we must be open and willing to hear from you when you guide us and direct us. 
Lord, thank you for saving us from our sins. Thank you for transforming us and making us into new creatures in you. But Lord, as we go out, Lord, we don't want to be suffering from the temptation of pride. We don't want to be suffering from jealousy or disunity. Lord, we want to be walking in step with you every step of the way. Lord, I pray for our church. I pray that you'll bless us with unity. You'll, you'll bless us with, with unity in spirit, that we're going the right and same direction. And Lord, that you will guide and direct us as we go out this week, that we will do the things you want us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.